Well, we started last week on our series on Who Needs Christmas, and we talked about the story of Christmas and really the story that we find in the New Testament, the, the details that we see that maybe you know very well, maybe you don't know very well, but um, it seemed pretty unbelievable, really, as we look at the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. Some of it just seems unbelievable as you look at it. I mean, how many of you have heard of a virgin birth lately? I mean, no, you know, we haven't, right? It's just unbelievable because there are things like that that don't happen anymore, and God does other things and other miracles. So you read these stories many times, and you're like, you know, I know this is supposed to be inspirational, manger scene, the whole Christmas thing, and it seems unbelievable. But what we discovered last week as we launched into our series is that what makes the events surrounding the birth of Jesus believable is the entire story is unbelievably remarkable because of the backstory that we have all the way from the Old Testament to where we are today. Because we said last week, the Christmas story doesn't begin with a young couple trying to figure out where to have a baby. It begins with an old couple, Abraham and Sarah, wondering if they're ever gonna have a baby, right? And if they ever will. But as it turns out, is that we're gonna talk about here for the next few moments together, it wasn't just the world that needed Christmas, and it sounds strange, but God needed Christmas as well. And let me try to explain that. Those of you that are parents here, you, you get this. You've ever had this feeling or this thought, and, and if you aren't a parent, your parent had or your parents had this thought or this feeling about you, and it goes like this. I sure wish my kids understood how much I love them, right? Have you had that feeling as a parent, right? You've asked that question. I, I really hope my kids understand that. I sure wish, and I sure wish my kids understood how much I really did care for them, and, but I really wish that my kids would stop believing that I lay in bed at night trying to come up with ways that make their life miserable. <laughs> That's probably one that we've probably really gone over in our mind, and uh, that my kids really understand that I love them no matter what they are going through. Every parent has had that internal, internal conversation. You know, it's like in that moment, you know, you're talking, I really, mom, dad, we really, we, we love you as your parents. And, and, and then their eyes glaze over and they're like, are you finished yet? You know what I'm talking about, right? On to the next thing. And uh, that you really want them to see how much you do care and love for their, and how much love you have for their lives. Well, apparently God, your heavenly father felt the same way as well. And I think uh, about this as a challenge as a parent is that it's challenging enough when you're eyeball to eyeball with whether you're middle school or high school or whatever, maybe you're, you're trying to get them to trust you and you're saying, you know, dad has your best interest in mind, but what do you do if you're the invisible spirit of God? Uh, what do you do when you can't be seen to you say, I want to express my love to them in a powerful way so that they'll really understand and believe this. You know, what do you do if you're not tangible? You can't put your hand on it. You're almost seemingly unknowable. And so how does God, the creator of heaven and earth, how, how does the, the spirit of God communicate to you and to me how he feels about us, his children, in, in a world that really, a material world that has turned inward and they've turned their back on God? And the answer to that is how in the world 
the Spirit of God communicates how much he loves us is it is through Christmas. It's Christmas. It's Christmas that he shows us how much he does love us. And Paul, who is, we knew as Saul in the, in the New Testament, started off as a Christian hater. And, and if you don't like Christians, you should read what Paul wrote. And he's, he's with you, except he actually arrested Christians. He arrested them. Imagine having, having that much power. He had the power to go arrest them and do many, many bad things to them. We see that in the New Testament. Anyway, the, the Apostle Paul has this great power. He became a Jesus follower. But, you know, in fact, you've probably met some Christians you'd like to have arrested too, right? Just on how they act, right? Oh, come on now. Come on, be real, right? You, you, know, you know what I'm saying. But we see the Apostle Paul had this power, and he became a Jesus follower. He was a Pharisee, very educated, brilliant guy. And if you want to see how brilliant it is, just look how he wrote to the Christians in Rome. It's unbelievable. He's a smart guy. And once he became this Christ follower, he began to see the Jewish scriptures differently. He began to see it differently. And once he knew that God sent Jesus into the world, he realized that the whole Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, was like, as we said last week, a cocoon. It was like God was birthing something brand new into the world, and the Old Testament was basically the story of how God did it, and he was preparing mankind for it. Paul, a Pharisee, raised with specific messianic expectations, he has this aha moment as a Jesus follower where he recognizes, oh my, it really is different. The story is different. There's a new phase. There's something unexpected. And if you have your Bibles, go with me to Galatians chapter four today. As we look there in this letter, he writes to some Christians living in the province of Rome. And he says this, and he's setting this all up. And we touched on the first part of this last week, and we're going to talk a little bit about it today, but also some other New Testament scriptures, Galatians 4, 4 through 5. And he says, but when the set time had fully come. In, in other words, when God had things exactly the way that he wanted them, when God was ready, when enough history had gone by, he knew, God knew that he could get the world's undivided attention when an expanding empire, the, the, the empire of Rome, was exporting a language, a culture, a civilization, and you see that through this, Jesus comes on the scene. Now, the Roman Empire in its prime, they had their own great commission. They did. They had their own things that they went about, their, 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 the operation of how they wanted to see the world. And the great commission of Rome was to Romanize and civilize the world, to Romanize and civilize the world. That, that was their goal. They had a seaport system, an amazing highway system. There was peace in a region and parts of the world that had never had peace before. When God got to that part of history, there, the, things were just the way that he wanted them to be. In addition, we see that there was a failed temple system that was in Jerusalem where, where money became more important than morality of the day, where corruption had replaced compassion. And it was amazing, a temple system where they believed God was important, but they were not sure so much that people were that important. That they, they believed that in that day that outside cleanliness, you know, would look like on the outside was more important than the inward compassion of their heart. An empire built on violence 
a temple system built on corruption. And God, when God had the thing just the way he wanted it, Paul says he took his next step. But when the set time had fully come, and the, you go to the next verse, God sent his son. When, when, when we got to that place in history where, where, where we understand, well, God showed up on this, and this is so important, the story would not be forgotten, that God knew at this moment that, that it would not slip through the cracks of history, that somehow it would happen in such a way that the world would know that it happened. It would be written down and documented and declared all over the world when the set time had fully come. God sent his son. And here's the questions we look at today because this is really a Christmas question is why did God have to send somebody? Why did God have to send a son? I mean, why did God have to cram himself into a body? Why God in a body? Why not just send us a messenger or another messenger? But it gets even more complicated. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law. So now the question is not just why God in a body, why God in a baby body, you know, why, why not show up, uh, you know, in a different way, just a messenger, why show up like all the rest of us as one of us and not as a law unto himself, but he comes into this world as a baby under the law, the Bible says. He doesn't walk onto the pages of history and say, now that I'm here, everything is going to be different. He doesn't say that, right? He doesn't do that. He was born under the law, which means he was accountable to the law. And when the apostle Paul tells us, as he's looking back, he's seeing his own scripture, his own history. Everything had been taught as, he's been taught as a young boy. Suddenly he sees it differently and says, now I realize what's been going on. Now I get an understanding. Why did God send Jesus? Why did God need even Christmas? In verse 5, it says to. To what? To what laws and prophets and judges and warnings and exiles and punishments and sacred texts could never ever do to redeem those that are under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship, and that is great news, amen? That, that God wanted to move not simply nations and tribes and groups of people, but move individual people like you and me into a personal relationship with him. And so at Christmas, God took the first step to remove all the obstacles and all the boundaries and so that we could have a personal relationship with him. Think about it. It was gonna be personal, so God had to come in a person. How would we know? How would we know where we stood with God if God had not come to stand with us? How would we know? If it was any other way, a message wouldn't get it done. Just declaring it wouldn't get it done. Another letter would not get it done. Another prophet would not get it done. Another miracle wouldn't get it done. So at just the right time, God staged a demonstration. Because we know and, and God knows that actions speak louder than words. Isn't that true? That actions speak louder, louder than words. And even uh, pages that are written on a page, that, or words on a page, it had to be a demonstration that would be documented. Had to be a documentation in history on planet Earth that could be documented in such a way for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years. You think about this, this is unbelievable. In fact, if you're a skeptic and you're not a Christian, 
or you've put the whole thing off and you think, wow, this just seems like a fairy tale, which some have. I just want you to not miss the gravity of the story of Christmas that 4,000 years ago, God promised he would do something through the line of Abraham. 2,000 years later, Jesus was born. And don't miss this, in 2,000 years after Jesus was born, we're still talking about that fact. And yet think of it, the birth of a Jewish baby born in the armpit of the Roman Empire became a household name. That when the set time had fully come, when the, when the time was perfect, when God knew it would not slip through the cracks of history, he sent his son into the world, born of a woman to redeem those that are under the law so that you and I might experience sonship, adoption into the family of God. It had to be a demonstration that could be doc documented. So the Apostle Paul, when he's writing his complicated letter to the Christians that lived in Rome, imagine Christians living in Rome. In fact, the fact that there were Christians in Rome spoke to the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. That very fact alone showed proof alone that Jesus had come and that he had risen from the dead and hundreds and hundreds of people within just a few years had embraced Jesus as the Savior living under the Emperor Nero. So he writes a letter to the Christians in Rome, and here's what he said, and you've heard this many times, but as we come to this story again, that there was a demonstration, and how does he demonstrate his love for us? As we read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, he says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the word demonstrate here, and if you have the MyLC mobile app, you can take a look at that because there's a Greek word that's used for the word demonstrate there that means to provide evidence of a personal characteristic or claim through action to demonstrate, to show, to bring out. Now, this is an amazing statement because when the Apostle Paul wrote this, he, it's because it's in the present tense while we were still sinners, we read that and go, well, wait a minute. Jesus died a long time ago before I was sinning. But when Paul wrote this, it dawned on him. It dawned on him. This was personal for him. While I was still sinning, while I was still resisting, while I was still holding the coats for those that went and tortured and killed Christians... While I was killing Christians, Christ died for me. This had to be so overwhelming to the Apostle Paul, who went on a personal mission to get rid of the church and to arrest Christians and to put Christians to death. And he's thinking to himself, God knew that's what I would do long before I did it. God knew my passion. God knew that I would be a one-man wrecking machine when it came to arresting and having Christians stoned and put to death, God knew what I was going to do. And while I was in that sin of rebellion, while I still had that in my heart, as a Jewish man, Christ died for me. Because Jesus' death was a demonstration, a demonstration of how much he was for us. And this brings us, as you look at this, to another question. In fact, 
what I want you to do, if, if you're listening online and you're, and you're shopping right now while you're listening, you know, uh, whatever it may be, and, and if you're in this room and you're on Amazon buying Christmas presents, just stop it for a minute. I, we know you do this, okay? So, all right, and some of you are on Facebook and, well, you know, just stop it for a minute, okay? Just, just hold on, okay. Listen, why in the world did Jesus have to die? It's confusing enough that God crammed himself into a baby body, but why did he have to die? Why such a public demonstration of this? Why the blood and the crown of thorns? Why was he beaten? Why couldn't Jesus to just pronounce to everybody, you know, hey, you know what? You're forgiven. Couldn't he just go up on the hillside, hillside and say, okay, before I go, one last thing. Everybody's forgiven. Heads up, uh, you know, I'm going to talk to dad, and dad wants me to tell you everybody's forgiven. All your sins are forgiven. You can have eternal life now. You can go to heaven when you die. Spread the good news. Everybody's forgiven. Got to go. I mean, why did he do it that way? He could have. This is the son of God. He could have done anything he wanted to do. Why did he just do that? And a couple of reasons is, first, nobody would have believed him if he'd done it that way. In fact, in the Gospels, every once in a while, you've seen this where Jesus would perform a miracle and heal somebody. He'd say, oh, yeah, and by the way, your sins are forgiven as well. How many of you remember that? Remember seeing them? You know, he's in there and he says, you know, you are healed. But you know what? Also, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders, they would freak out. Now, you would think they would freak out because he healed somebody. But they freaked out when he said, your sins are forgiven. And they would say to him what any of us would say, wait a minute, you can't forgive sins. I mean, how can you do this? Who are you? You can't forgive someone who, who's, who's done sinning and doing, doing bad things. But I mean, you can forgive somebody that sinned against you, but you can't forgive other people that sinned against other people. And to you, you surely can't pronounce that all of your sins are forgiven. No mere mortal could pronounce anyone else's sins are forgiven. It's impossible to do. You can't forgive sins. So if Jesus had simply said, hey, I just want to announce that everyone's sins are forgiven, nobody would have believed him. They didn't believe him when he said it. No one would have taken him seriously. His words would have never survived the first century because only a crazy man would claim that. And here's the reason Jesus had to come in a baby body. And here's the reason God sent his son of the world to grow up among us as one of us and die such a violent death and demonstrate his public death in front of so many people. It's for it to be documented to the point where we are still talking about it today. And here's why. Because God is the author of life. God is the author of life. And we're still trying to figure that one out. Life is sophisticated. Life is complicated. Your cells are smarter than your brain. Did you know that? Those of you in the medical field, you understand. You, you've studied this enough. Your cells are smarter than your brain. We haven't even understood everything, you know, in the, in the medical world of, of what cells can do, right? But we understand that. In fact, generations after generations, we don't even understand why our bodies do certain things. We, we didn't even understand germs for so long. We're just figuring out the way the body works. God is the author of life. He really is the author of life. And we need to be struck with that once again. And here's what I don't want you to miss, because this is the message of Christmas. When you dishonor the source of life, you dishonor God. Are you with me, church? 
That, that when you dishonor the source of life, you and I dishonor God. There is a God-shaped void. You've heard this. You can put it any way you want it. A God-shaped void in every human being that has ever lived. There's an understanding inside of every person. It's whether people will accept it or reject it. Right? To the person that has never heard the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in that person in the most remote tribe or village or wherever it may be today, there's a God-shaped void inside of them that needs to respond to their Savior. It's there. But when we dishonor the source of life, we dishonor God. To dishonor the source of life is an expression of ingratitude from us. In other words, you owe, I owe, and we owe God our lives. Yet every single day, people get up and they're not even thankful for the very life that they have. So many unthankful that God has given them breath as we sing about today. But God wants us to respond to who he is and live every day with that mindset. And what's so crazy is about, about this is you did not choose your birth, did you? Uh, no. And you and I probably will not choose the day that we leave this planet. But somehow within those miraculous bookends where we have been given life, sometimes we shake our fist at God and we want our own way, don't we? that there are times of rebellion that come into our life and we shake our fist at God sometimes or we've lived a life of rebellion. Maybe you are today. Maybe it's been something in your past that you, you want, you want your life to be lived how you want to live it and to, to live that. And we owe a debt to the giver of life that we cannot pay. We owe him our very lives. And this, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died in our place, Christ died in our place. We don't deserve to, 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 to give up the most valuable to us because we've been so disrespectful of the giver of life so many times that we're not thankful for the very life that we have. But as I look at this, we have a God who sent Jesus into this earth that gave his very lifeblood to us. And I look at other cults out there and I look at other religions out there today and many people are living for somebody who never did anything for them and they are deceived in living their life to follow them when we have a God who sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die on the cross for us. We deserve to give him our whole entire life every single day to honor him, to honor the king of kings. So Peter, we see this, James, Andrew, John, after the resurrection, after Jesus rose from the dead, he sends these guys to Jerusalem and he says, you stay there. You're gonna know when you're ready. You stay in that place. And a few weeks later, they, they come to the streets of Jerusalem and Jesus had been arrested. He had been drugged through the streets, dragged outside the city, crucified, and they're in the company and they're in the presence of the very people who arrested 
and crucify the Lord. And here his disciples are, and, and they're stepping to the streets after the resurrection. And here's what they said, Acts 3, 14 through 15. They're looking eyeball to eyeball. You read this account in context. They're looking eyeball to eyeball with men and women in the streets of Jerusalem. And he said, they said this, you disown the holy and righteous one, talking about Jesus. You disown him. You ask that a murderer be released to you when Jesus was on trial. Pilate offered to give Jesus back to you. Pilate offered to spare Jesus' life, and you are so corrupt. You chose a murderer. You chose another prisoner. You chose Barabbas, someone who had taken life over the man who came to give life. And they were stunned. And as you look at the next verse, and, and, and if you're ready, it says, you killed the author of life. You killed him. And the implication, God allowed you to kill the author of life. The author of life gave away his life. You cannot take the life of the author of life. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses to that, that God sent his son into the world, into a baby body to grow up like us and among us so that we would owe him our very existence. And don't miss this. Jesus's death demonstrated the magnitude of our ingratitude, the severity of our offense, we disregarded the author of life. We abused the supplier. We deserve to lose the supply. Jesus' death demonstrated the magnitude of our ingratitude, and his death demonstrated the magnitude of his love for us. And don't miss this. You cannot demonstrate love without sacrifice. You can't demonstrate great love without great sacrifice. It cannot happen. Love must be shown to be known. How many of you are with me? Love must be shown in order for it to be known. Words are cheap. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yeah, but show me. Love must be shown to be known. It has to be. Love must be shown to be known. You cannot demonstrate love without a sacrifice. So how does God do this? Why is this so important? How does God, who claims to love the world, how does God, how does he put this, that we are created in his image, how does he demonstrate at a personal level in his love for you? The only way, the only way to make a sacrifice that, that you would know about, because you can't demonstrate love without a sacrifice, and neither can I. You can't demonstrate great love without a great sacrifice. You'll never know how much someone really cares for you until you see that they're willing to sacrifice for you that God demonstrated his love for us and it was a great and necessary sacrifice. Romans 5, 7 through 8, you see it says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, you might be willing to give up your life for someone you love or someone who's good or someone who's of great value to society. But God demonstrates his love to us and for us in this, while we were sinners, that Christ died for us. See, God needed Christmas. God needed Christmas to demonstrate and to document his love for this rebel race. Otherwise, how would we ever know? How would we ever know? By him just declaring it? No. By him just sending another messenger? 
No. So when the set time had fully come, when everyone had given up hope, when nobody was looking for it, when the set time had fully come, when the Roman Empire had laid the groundwork for the message to be distributed, when the temple system had failed. And let me just tell you all this, if if you don't know this right now, God is doing what he wants to do on the world stage right now with world leaders, whoever they may be, that don't even serve God. God is using them as pawns in his hand to do what he says he will do in these days. He is setting the stage in decades and 100 years from now. We're going to look back as we did on scripture and we're going to see world leaders and we're going to see nations that are going to fall into place with God and what he wants to do and what he has done in history to accomplish his goals right now. Even though the nations are tumultuous today, God is using that for his glory because God does not waste the moments of our life. Amen. He's using them for his glory right now. He's using the difficulties. Amen. That you and I are going through today. He's using them. He's putting them in place, though we may not see it. We may not even feel it. We may not even think that it's happening, but God is strategically putting together his purpose and his plan for his redeeming power. I mean, you, you set time and fully come. The Jewish carpenter discovers his fiance is pregnant. And he's trying to figure out what in the world do I do about this? What in the world do I do about her? And do I shame her? Do I protect her? Do I lie to keep myself free from accusations? Do I marry her? Do I tell her mother? What in the world do I do about this? And the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph in Matthew 1, 20 through 23, that bewildered the Jewish carpenter and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That really say, what he's saying in here is God is on the move. God is on the move. And let me tell you something about God. God is always on the move. Joseph, the set time, it's fully come. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name, what? Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. That's why he will come. And and all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets, through the prophets of Isaiah and Malachi. And, And then he quotes the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So at the set time, it's time. So God set a demonstration and documented so the world would know so that 2,000 years later, we would know it did not slip through the cracks of history. So that the world would know today because he knew this, we needed to see it to believe it. We needed to know the story, to, to know the story that it was about us. And it wasn't just enough to say it. But he had to send his son to pay the price in our place. He had to be with us so that we could know he was for us. We needed a demonstration. God wanted to give a demonstration because he said, man, I just really want my kids to understand how much I love them. So I have to send something physical so I give my very best, which is my son to give to this earth to know that they can be redeemed that they can be set free 
that they can turn from their rebellious ways and serve me as their Savior. He had to be with us so that we could know he was for us. I can't imagine ending a sermon or a message like this or a day like this without giving somebody here at Abundant Life Church or somebody online, wherever they may be throughout the world, without giving you an opportunity to come to Jesus Christ today. That we can look back if the Lord tarries, that we can look back and we could hear this, not because they're my words, no, they're his words. That we can come and say, wow, right there, they talked about it. They talked about how God was moving uh, on the world stage and, and uh, they just, just, just didn't talk about it, but they gave an opportunity. I, I can't imagine ending a message like this without giving us an opportunity to respond at this moment in history. Sir, ma'am, you're wondering why all the craziness has happened to you. I don't even have the answer to all that, but I know one thing. God's cleared the stage in your life too so that you would respond to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what he's done. Oh, I, I haven't figured it all out like you have. I got a lot of questions. Oh, yeah, well, that's pretty common. So did David. So did a lot of people. So did a lot of heroes of the Bible. I had a lot of questions, but trust in the Lord. Maybe for somebody today, maybe this is the first time. Maybe, maybe salvation's a strange thing. Or maybe you've heard this a hundred times. Maybe, maybe you've been reading or listening or singing a song or something on the radio or somebody says something. You're like, wow, I get it. Aha. Uh -huh. That's it. Just like the Apostle Paul. Suddenly the dots get connected in your life and, and you've prayed like crazy before today and you're, you've been praying for somebody that today, somebody that the dots are con going to connect today and, and things are going to begin to make sense. And the Apostle John, who knew Jesus, explained it the best that any of us ever could. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in, not just believes in, but believes in him would not perish but would be given the life that they don't even deserve and the little phrase believe in is like power packed I can't even go into it but it, you just need to study it okay I just encourage you as you read scripture ask questions about the scripture because you know what you got to get involved with the pages of scripture because you know what you're part of God's history you got to get in there and ask questions about the text. Why did that happen? And let the Lord show you. Yes, some of it is plain right there. That's why God did others. Other times, it's a moment where you're asking God, and God wants to personally reveal himself to you inside of Scripture so the pages of Scripture will become absolutely real for you and for me. That you would be like Paul and get this aha moment, but the believe in really means trust. And the way we illustrate it is in trust. Trust isn't a magic word. It isn't a mystical word. There's not a spiritual version of trust and a secular version of trust. Did you know that? But see, our American mind, sometimes we cut, splice, and dice when that's not the concept where this is coming out of. This is a holistic mindset inside of scriptures. It's speaking to us today. We've cut, dice, sliced things up. You know, we can separate sometimes, well, I have a spiritual reality, I have a secular reality. Well, in scripture, that's not even the, re the reality. It's who you are as a whole person that in Christ, you and I are spiritual beings. That it's not mystical or magical. Trusting in God and trusting in Jesus means this. Just like you trust in anything, 
Just like when you came in here today, sir, ma'am, young person or child, you came in, you picked where you wanted to sit, and you sat down, didn't you? Yeah, unless it's a figment of my imagination, you're sitting. Right? Few of you I know aren't, but most of you are. That what you did at that moment is you came and said, well, I choose to sit here. And in that moment, you came and you put your full weight of your trust into that chair. And that is the same as it is with Jesus Christ, that when you're saying, I'm coming to the Lord Jesus and I'm going to accept him, that you're coming and putting your full weight in trust in him. That's big. That's not an easy thing to do. But believe in means trust. You're putting the full weight of who you are. What does that mean? You're going to have to give up control, and so am I. Amen? That we say, I'm coming, God, and my life I give to you now. So now I come and I sit and I place my trust in you. I'm putting the full assurance of who I am inside of you. I no longer trust me alone. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you with my whole entire life that that in that moment, that that is where God can come in and do a mighty and a powerful work inside of you, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, that when we place our trust in the Lord, he will show up on our behalf. You know, sometimes we come, and you've heard pastors, people on radio, whatever it may be, hey, would you say this prayer after me? It's not meant to be a formula prayer. It's said so many different ways. What it is is just a way to help kind of guide and lead people to Christ. You know, words don't save you. You got to confess with your mouth. You got to believe in your heart, right? That Jesus is Lord. So in this moment, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? No matter where you're at, maybe you're watching online, you're here today. But today, can you say that all of your life is fully in the hands of God? In this moment, can you put your full trust and assurance inside of him, your full weight? No longer you, no, no, no longer your, your checkbook, no, no longer your title, no longer all the titles, no longer whatever it may be. No longer in that. But inside of Christ alone today, can you do that? And maybe it comes by you just saying a prayer in your heart, and it simply can be, Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus is your son and that you have sent him to this earth to pay for my sin. That he died, died for me and the sins of this world. So in this moment, I transfer my trust to you. I place all my trust in your death, your burial, your resurrection for the full payment of my sin. God, receive me into your family today. Receive me into your family.